the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Exodus. The children of Israel were finally on their way out of Egypt. God had kept his promises, but Pharaoh and the Egyptian army will resent them leaving and will come after them. We pick up with Pastor Will in Exodus chapter 14, verse 3. You know, in our scripture reading, we read about how Jesus walked on top of the water, showing that he's above the trials, that they are not difficult for him, that he is the master of everything. But what's interesting, as we read today in the Red Sea experience in Exodus 14, Moses and Israel walk through the water, showing that it is our job to walk through trials, letting God be the one who overcomes for us. See, most often when I pray, I want to walk on top of my trials so they don't touch me at all. That's how we pray. Lord, I want to walk on top of this trial so I'm not having to go through it at all. And sometimes God does that, doesn't he? Sometimes God moves in such a way that he just delivers us from the trial. And it's like, praise the Lord, man, that thing didn't touch me at all. But most of the time we go through the trial, trusting him in the middle of it. And when that happens, do I trust the Lord to lead me through that trial? Or do I whine because he hasn't delivered me from it? As we look at Exodus 14 tonight, may the Lord minister to us the importance of trusting him, walking through the trial and not complaining. So, because whatever the Israelites felt as they approached this dead, end, God had already told them why he brought them here. He was setting Egypt up to deal with them in such a way that they would never trouble this group again. Verse 3, God explains, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they're entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them, and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his host or his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord And then they did so. The Israelites followed God's directions and they went into that dead end area. So the idea is if God knows that when they get into this dead end area, that Pharaoh is going to say about them, they're entangled in the land of the wilderness. The word they're entangled means to wander around to confusion with no clear destination. Pharaoh was considered them trapped in the desert region, a prime target for his army. And God is going to strengthen that thinking. That's what it means to harden, to confirm or strengthen. He's going to strengthen this thinking of Pharaoh to the place where he comes out for a final confrontation with Jehovah God. And in that, the Lord said, I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Why would God need to do this? I mean, didn't the plagues prove his superiority to all the Egyptian deities? Yes. But one thing remained for Egypt to trust in, their own strength, their army. See, in the end, after God had dealt with all their idols, there was one final idol left to be conquered, the idol of self, the first and most sinister false god of all. For isn't that where it all started? Isn't that where the whole problem began back in the garden in Genesis chapter 3? In Genesis chapter 3, the enemy came to Eve and he said, hey, has God said that you shall not eat of you know, every tree? And he said, well, no, we can eat of every tree. We just can't eat of this tree. Oh no, God's lying to you. He's actually holding back on you. He knows in the day that you eat of it, what will happen? God said, you'll die. Satan says, you'll be like God. The very first idol, the idol of self, that I am my own God, I am my own master. That was the last deity that God had to take care of with Egypt. 
And so Israel was obedient to the Lord, followed his directions, and Pharaoh took the bait. Verse 5. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants were turned against the people, and they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? The idea here is that Pharaoh realizes, or they come to him, and they tell him, listen, they're not just going out for three days, they're going out for good. In other words, they are leaving for good as opposed to only going into the desert three days' journey to worship. The question that you might be thinking is, well, did God deceive Pharaoh? Did Moses and thereby God deceive Egypt and Pharaoh by planning to leave for good, but only commanding Pharaoh to let Israel go three days journey to worship God? Listen, 1 Samuel 15, 29 is very clear. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he repents. He doesn't change his mind and he does not deceive. God does not lie, okay? Ever. No matter what anyone tells you, he doesn't lie. Well, you say, well, how does that fit with this then? Well, at this point in time, Israel had only been traveling for three days. They'd not left Egypt yet, even though they'd been on the border the day before. They're at a dead end with no natural ability to leave Egypt. They can't go through the sea. They have to go out. If they're going to go out anyway, they got to go out the same way they came in. This would be the ideal place for worship. They had done nothing to violate their word. And the truth is, if Pharaoh humbled himself and let things play out, who knows what God would have done? But God knew Pharaoh wouldn't obey. He and his advisors, he knew that they would forget the 10 plagues as if they were a whiff of smoke and they would come out with Egypt's full army to attack. So God had already planned to deal with them in finality, verse six. So Pharaoh made ready his chariot and he took his people, his warriors with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. The chosen chariots would be his royal guard. This would be a three-man chariot with one driver and two expert marks inside. The common chariot would only have two occupants, one driver and one marksman. This chosen chariot would be the equivalent of a modern day tank. These guys would be unstoppable because of their speed, because of their height, because of the protection around them. These things were worth about a hundred men. And so he takes his most elite soldiers and his rest of his army and he heads out to go find the Israelites. Verse eight. So the Lord hardened, or again, confirmed the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. You know, one would think that Pharaoh would remember the high hand of God, which forced him to yield, but he doesn't. But the Egyptians pursued after them and all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army. And they overtook them in camping by the sea beside Pi-ha-hiroth before Baal-zephon. This shows Pharaoh never experienced repentance. What is repentance? Well, it means a change of heart, a change of mind. That you used to think it was okay to do this or live this way and you decided, no, I'm having a change of heart, a change of mind. Now I'm gonna go in this direction. But Pharaoh never experienced that. He was overawed and overpowered by God, but he was not convinced. And he took this wandering of Israel, wandering, I say, because God knew exactly where they were. He took the wandering of Israel into a militarily indefensible position as a sign that perhaps Jehovah had finally run out of arrows. Well, verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, when his army got close, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes And behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And the children of Israel, uh, they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. The word behold is a word that signifies shock or surprise. Now we should ask, why should they be surprised? God told them this is what happened. Hey guys, turn around, go in a different direction, go into this dead end, because I'm gonna bring Pharaoh out, and I'm gonna defeat him once and for all that they'll never bother you again. But sometimes, even though we know the trouble's coming, because God says it's coming, when it's there, it can be scary. Because we do the same exact thing. Jesus promised in this world, you'll have tribulation, right? 
When it comes, we cry out in shock. Why, God? What have I done to deserve this? I guess you don't love me anymore. Being told trouble is coming isn't the same thing as being in the middle of it, is it? It can be frightening. because, And if that wasn't the case, it wouldn't be called trouble. It would just be called life or circumstances. Trouble is scary sometimes. And I'm sure as a dust cloud being kicked up by the entire might of Pharaoh's army grew bigger and bigger as they approached, Israel's sense of adrenaline kicked in. Feeling emotions of fear when trouble comes is normal. That's not abnormal. God has designed our body to physiologically react to danger in a way that we protect ourselves. When I would be driving with Joel, I would be driving with him in the car at night for whatever reason. He would get frightened frequently because his feet didn't touch the ground. And it was dark down there from his car seat and he couldn't see. So he would get scared because of course everyone knows that there are monsters at the bottom of the car that eat your feet, right? So he would say, daddy, I'm afraid, daddy, I'm scared. And I would look back at him and I would say to him, it's okay to feel afraid, Joel. It's just not okay to stay afraid. Do you see the difference there? We have that natural sense of fight or flight that God gives to us. So when something is crashing toward us, we just don't go, oh, something's crashing toward us. So either we brace ourselves or we get out of the way. That's a normal reaction. So when trouble comes, it's normal to feel afraid. But there are many trouble situations in which we can't do anything other than cry out to the Lord for help and entrust our lives to him. And if we let fear continue to govern our thinking at this point, we move from something natural into something sinful verse 11. They cried out unto the Lord, but they don't leave it there. And then they said to Moses, because there are no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the desert? Why have you dealt with us this way to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the desert. Now they're being quite sarcastic with Moses because Egypt, three quarters of their land was burial ground three quarters of their land. They had plenty of graves in Egypt. And they're basically smarting off with Moses. Oh, is it because there wasn't enough burial ground in Egypt? You had to bring us out here to find a grave? See, if they cried to God and they'd left it there, they would have done nothing wrong. But instead, upon seeing the Egyptian army continuing to come, they forget God's word and they blame Moses for leading them to this place. See, when I don't leave my fears at the Lord's feet, I begin to act upon premonitions or fictionally reasoned outcomes in my mind. This is wickedness. It's akin to witchcraft, trying to predict the future. We're not to take action based upon feelings or presumptions. We take action based upon God's word. And God's word was that he'd deal with Pharaoh and the armies of Egypt once and for all. Look at all the incorrect things Israel does in just these two verses. They blame Moses when he's an innocent man. They assume God had forsaken them or had never been with them, despite the fact that his presence is right there in the cloudy pillar beside them. They assume the worst when God was about to do something amazing. And lastly, they forgot how bad their slavery had been when they had been the ones to cry out to God for deliverance because of how harsh it was. Have you ever reacted those ways out of fear? You lash out at someone, assuming they're against you, or you assume God was against you or that he's abandoned you? Fear is a tormenting master that leads us to very poor decisions. Do not let it rule your life. Well, how do you do that? Well, four things, verse 13 through 15. And Moses said unto the people, fear you not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you. You shall hold your peace. Here we see the very first thing, the very first way that we handle fear is he says, fear you not. The phrase there literally means you must stop 
being afraid. What does that mean? It means I need to make a choice to stop being afraid. God won't make that choice for you. God will not always override your free will and say, you know, well, you're not going to be afraid anymore. I have to make a choice when I feel that churning stress, that sense of constriction in my chest where it's hard to breathe, it's hard to think, and I have to say, I choose not to be afraid because my God loves me and is for me. You have to make that choice. You have to make the choice to trust God instead. Secondly, he says, stand still. The phrase there means to stand a place of no motion for an extended period of time. First, you have to make a choice not to be afraid, to stop being afraid. Lord, I choose not to be afraid. Secondly, you have to commit to not taking action just for the sake of taking action, especially when it violates God's word. Because when we're afraid, what do we often feel like we have to do? I have to do something. I have to do something. We have to fix this problem. We have to prepare for this problem. We have to do something. And so we act out of fear. We begin to then make wrong decisions. or We violate scripture that God has given to protect ourselves. That is, we need to make a, pl- a decision to say, no, I'm going to commit to not taking action until God says to go. Number three, he says, see the salvation of the Lord. You know what that means in the original Hebrew? Watch God do his thing. That's what it means. Watch God do his thing. Now, obviously, Israel is going to have to take some action because when God opens the sea, they're going to have to walk through it. He doesn't transport them magically to the other side, although it's interesting he did that with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. So sometimes God does do that, but in this instance, he doesn't. See, God's command to not take action, but to watch him do his thing is because they'd already taken wrong action by blaming Moses. So the command to not take action is to not take any self-induced or disobedient action. The fourth point is found in verse 15. For the Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, why do you cry unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. After telling the people to not fear, Moses took their concerns to God. And God says, now is not the time for that. There is a time for prayer, but you know what you need to do. Now is the time to move forward. And there comes a place when we give it to God, we say, Lord, I choose not to be afraid. I'm not going to take any action until you tell me to. And I'm going to stand still and watch you move. When the word comes to go, it's time to get off your knees and to move forward to be obedient to him and do what he says. It's interesting here because the Lord says to move forward and then there's a colon there. Why do you cry unto me? Speaking to the children of Israel that they go forward. This is interesting because it indicates a pause. He doesn't tell them how to go forward. He just says, start moving forward again. How are they to move forward when there's a massive body of water in their way? See, here's the interesting thing. Sometimes you have to keep walking even when the obstacle remains even when it's still there. The word go forward means to pull up your tent stakes and move on. See, Israel could have certainly stayed where they were and continued to whine. Oh, why'd you bring us out here? Oh, woe is us. This is so horrible. They had plenty of good reasons to whine too. There's a bunch of bloodthirsty Egyptians right around the corner. But camping out there changes nothing. And it's in these moments that we need to pull up the tent stakes and move out of Wine Central Station, even though the obstacle is still in front of us. And so verse 16, God says to Moses, now, now that you're moving forward, here's what you need to do. But you lift up your rod and you stretch your hand out over the sea and divide it. And I laugh. Not an easy task. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like you to lift your hand up and lift your staff up and divide the sea in half. Okay, God. I've done that a few times. Shouldn't be a problem. That's all he says. <laughs> God tells him to do it as if he's just chopping a tomato in half. Can you cut me a tomato in half? Ah, oh, sure. Yeah, I'll make the Red Sea part. But see, this is why we keep walking. Because God is the one who makes the way as we obey him. For he says, And the children of Israel shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea. 
God makes not just a way, but a dry path through an impossible sea. Now, briefly, you may have heard you know, a lot of people say you know, that there are people who teach, oh, this is really not a big sea. It's not a big thing. It's actually just a small sea, and God just caused a wind. And, you know, and they, they've done research that in the Bitter Lakes over there on the Egypt-Sinai border, that if 10-mile-an-hour uh, winds are blowing in one direction, it can actually stop the motion of the sea, and it will actually create a dry place in the middle. The problem is it's only three or four feet deep. Maybe Maybe you've heard the story of the child who was in class and he was, you know, explaining to his classmates, he's a Christian, he's explaining to his classmates how awesome it was that God parted the Red Sea and Israel could go through it. And so he was sent to the principal's office and the principal told him and said, listen, he said, you need to stop telling people this nonsense. God did not part this big Red Sea and whatever. It was just a tiny little lake, maybe three or four feet of water and wind blew and that's how they went through and they called it a miracle. And the kid said, really? And his principal said, yes. So stop telling this nonsense. He goes, okay. And he goes out and he goes, guys, guys, this is crazy. God drowned the entire Egyptian army in four feet of water. God makes a specific point of mentioning in Psalm 78 that the water created heaps of a wall. It was almost like piling up bricks of water as a wall that they walked through. I don't know about you, but I don't think of walls that are this short. I think of walls of water. And then he dried up the land. That's like the Holy Ghost hairdryer, like super fast. I mean, I go to the ocean, it's all wet. It is not dry when there are waters around. And when the water goes away, it doesn't dry immediately. But God caused him to go through dry ground. This, the only way to explain it, is a supernatural miracle of God. And you might be thinking, well, that's great. They can move forward. But what about the Egyptian army chasing them? Going through the sea just creates the perfect death trap. God says, you keep moving forward. I'll take care of the Egyptians. Verse 17. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his army, upon his chariots, upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. And so the angel of the Lord, which went before the camp of Israel in the pillar of, that one side was smoky, and the other side was fiery, one bright, one dark. The angel of the Lord, which went before the camp of Israel, removed. It picked up from going in front of them, and it went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. So the smoky part, the cloudy part, was away from Israel facing the Egyptians, and the fiery, bright part was lighting the way for Israel. Verse 20, and it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, that's the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to these, that's the Israelites, so that the one came not near the other all the night. So God kept them separated all night long as the, the water's about to part and they're about to walk through. God keeps the Egyptians at bay through his presence. Verse 21. And so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back with a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. So at some point, apparently, the pillar actually moved out of the way again once the Israelites had entered the path through the sea. Now, one might have been tempted to say, as they looked back and saw, God's forsaken us, it's, it's over, here they come, we're dead. But we must not forget what God told Israel at the start. He didn't say, I'm sending you on this new path because I want to show how I can protect you from the Egyptians. That's not what he said. I'm sending you on this new path because I'm going to deal with the Egyptian army once and for all. And that's not going to happen by holding them at bay. The Egyptians had to follow. Verse 24, look at what God does. And it came to pass that in the morning watch, this is the last part of the night, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., dawns right around the corner, but it's still very dark. 
They still don't see the light of day yet. And it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host, brought confusion to the host of the Egyptians. One of the Psalms, we don't know for sure, but it seems to describe a huge storm that began to occur. Psalm 77, a huge storm that began to occur as Moses and Aaron were leading the people at the edge of the other end of the Red Sea. And that storm began to cause confusion. In addition to that, verse 25, it says, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them heavily or with great difficulty. So much so, it says, that the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. All of a sudden, those chariots that were like tanks, they were not so powerful now, were they? And they realized just how truly vulnerable they are. They're not so bad now. They're not so tough now as they see those walls of water beside them, and they've got no way out but their own two feet. Unfortunately for them, It's too late to turn around. Verse 26. And the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And so Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. See, dawn comes. When the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled against her in the opposite direction, they went back to the other shore, but the Lord overthrew or swept them away. The Lord swept the Egyptians away into the midst of the sea and the waters returned and they overpowered. That's what covered means. They overpowered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them. Pharaoh himself did not come in. It appears that some others didn't come in either. But every single person that went to follow in the sea, every single one of them died. Verse 29. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them, on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. Literally, in the Hebrew, it means, and Israel saw Egypt dead upon the seashore. As they saw the corpses floating by, possibly washing up on the beach, they realized that God had forever severed anything they needed to be afraid of ever again. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Israel didn't lift a single weapon in their own defense, did they? Not a single one. Their best defense was by continuing to move forward, right? Continuing to walk with the Lord. And the result was when they saw the great work that he had done, that the people feared the Lord. The word there means to show profound respect. They had a deeper admiration and respect for their God. And secondly, they believed the Lord. The word here means to place their confidence in, to put faith in. They put their faith in the Lord and to servant Moses. They began to trust the Lord more. So the whining was over for now. We'll see them return to their whining many times later throughout the book of Exodus and Numbers and other places. So what's the lesson there? Well, the lesson is this. Walking through trials isn't a one-time-for-all decision. We must make the decision to leave Wine Central Station every single day and to say, Lord, you've called me to walk today, so I choose not to be afraid of this trial. I'm choosing, Lord, to stand still, not take any action until you tell me to move. And Lord, I'm going to watch you do your thing. And then when you say to go, I'm going to trust you with all my heart and I'm going to obey you and go forward. And the beautiful part is when we do that, God does do his thing and he does come through. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 with me. I want to close with this because the Bible says there's an application to this for us. We're going to read the first 13 verses. Verse 1, it says, Moreover, brothers, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they did all eat that same spiritual food. He's recounting Israel's history. They went through this thing. They 
went through the Red Sea. They experienced it. It was like a baptism, so to speak, leaving the old life of Egypt behind and their new life was ahead of them. They all ate that manna. Verse four, they all drank the same spiritual drink. Remember, we're gonna learn about how water comes out of a rock to take care of them in the desert. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. In other words, many of them didn't that went through the Red Sea and experienced all these good things. They didn't experience the promised land. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters as were some of them. For it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the idea there is with their idolatry and the sexual sin that came with that. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day, 23,000. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. But here's our application today. Neither murmur you as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for examples and they are written for our admonition, our correction, our discipline, so we don't do the same thing. Upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Stay humble. You need the Lord's help to get through trials. Your way is not going to work. And remember this, verse 13, that there is no temptation, no trial, no trouble that has taken you, that has come upon you, but such as is common to man. You're not alone. You're not the only one who's gone through it. You're not the only one going through it. Other people have been there and other people may be there right now going through it. You're not alone. And God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able, but with the temptation also, he will make a way to escape that you might be able to bear it or bear up under it. Keep going. Keep walking. Listen, for Israel, I'm sure they thought way of escape. The only way of escape is into the Egyptians. That's not an escape. And the Lord says, I have ways that you have no clue about. I'm a practical person. If I was walking through that sea, I would be moving pretty quick because I would see that water, you know, maybe the Shamu exhibit over there, you know, and whatnot. And I would think I need to get the other side. Many ways I don't want to die. And one of them is drowning. At any moment, those walls of water could have come crashing down if God let go. And that thought had to be in someone's mind as they walked through it, the reality of it. And yet they trusted that God would be faithful to his word and rescue him. That those walls of water would stay put as long as they were still in their midst. Listen, you can know that that thing that looks like it's going to run you over and it's going to wipe you out. God is holding it back and it's not going to do that. Not until you are walked all the way through to the other side. Listen, when Jesus isn't delivering us from the trial, let's continue to move forward in faith, knowing that he's right beside us every step. Amen. We must choose faith over fear over every situation. God always comes through, even when there seems to be no possible way. God is a God of the impossible. Should you have questions or would like prayer concerning this or for anything at all, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.